1: Our scripture this morning is from Genesis 32, verses 22 to 31. The same night, he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the J-Box. He took them and sent them across the stream. And likewise, everything that he had, Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. For he said to him, What's your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you want my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Pentel, saying, for I will have have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip.
0: Well, we're in week four of our six-part series on the life of Jacob, the only character in all of the Bible that we know at every life stage, birth to old man, and his story dominates the second half of the book of Genesis. We're looking for life lessons from the, from the life of Jacob that can make us more into the person God has called us to be. Last week, Jacob married two sisters, Leah and Rachel, in two weeks. And I want to be clear that this is not one of the life lessons I'm trying to encourage <laughs> you to apply Generally speaking, uh, marrying your wife's younger sister is a bad idea. But as a part of that chapter of the story, Jacob lived with his uncle Laban for 20 years. Laban cheated and tricked Jacob. Jacob treated and tricked Laban. Uh, Isn't there some relief in knowing that all families are dysfunctional? In the last seven years of Jacob's employment, both of Jacob's wives and their handmaids increased the size of his household. And while they're tending to the children at home, Jacob is getting rich. He's getting rich because uh, Laban's enterprise is thriving. And he is chief lieutenant. And he is getting rich helping make Laban rich. But he's also getting rich by cheating Laban out of an entire herd through a breeding scam. This guy, this guy really is a cad. Have you noticed? I mean, all, all of the weeks we've been watching him so far. This is the inheritor, of the promise to God, of God to Abraham. And, and as we're going to see next week and going forward, he does grow into his noble calling. But so far, he's not exactly somebody you'd want to marry into the family, right? So Jacob's cheating Laban. Laban's cheating Jacob. And between his hard work and his scams, Jacob makes a lot of money. And he's got flocks and slaves and donkeys and camels. And now the sons of Laban are jealous. Because he's just a nephew after all. They're not as well-to-do as uh Jacob is their sons after all. And when the tensions get really high, and with no warning or goodbye, Jacob packs up the family and the flocks, and he takes off toward his family home in Canaan where his father Isaac lives. This must have been a big place Laban had because it took him three days to figure out that they were gone and he put a search party together to go looking for them. It's day seven before he finds uh, in the hill country of Gilead the group that had fled. Well as you might imagine an argument breaks out between the two of them. I mean uh, Laban starts yelling at at Jacob for sneaking his daughters and grandkids out without as much as a goodbye. There's all kind of bad blood between these two anyway. And then Laban accuses Jacob of stealing his household gods. Jacob tells him, you can look anywhere you want. I haven't got your household gods. I dare you accuse me of stealing from you. And a careful search turns up nothing. Only because Rachel has hidden them under her skirt so, Jacob gets self-righteous, pressures Laban into accepting a covenant, a kind of covenant of non-aggression. And they, they stack up stones, make a kind of wall, and they agree. I won't come across this wall of stones uh, to do any harm to you. You won't come across this wall of stones to do any harm to me. They bless each other to go their own way. But remember... <laughs> that the reason Jacob left Canaan in the first place is his brother Esau was trying to kill him for ways he had been tricked by Jacob many years ago. So there's bad blood with Laban, but there is red-hot hatred coming from Esau. So he's got the angry Laban back over his shoulder, and he's walking into the jaws of the even angrier brother Esau. The trickster has gotten himself in a mess. So Jacob sends word ahead. He's, he, he takes part of his traveling crew, sends them on out in search of Esau and sends word in a friendly tone bygones be bygones and all of that. And he gets word back from the messengers who have gone and returned that Esau is out there on his way with 400 men in his army. This is not looking good for our friend Jacob. Apparently, Esau is not the forgiving type So Jacob does what we all do when we get scared to death. He prays. Oh Lord, please deliver me from the destruction of my brother. But Jacob is also wily. So he tries another strategy. He's rich now, remember? So he sends Esau a gift, a a bribe of sorts. He sends ahead 200 nanny goats and 20 billy goats and 40 cow and on and on and on and on. He sends the gifts with hope that Esau will be appeased by the, uh, by the payoff and no longer be after his behind. Well, one after he has sent this group ahead, it, it's nighttime in one of those nights in between. And he tries to fall asleep. He doesn't fall asleep well. Somewhere he's by the Jabbok. He he finally gets up and takes his family and crosses the Jordan River with the family. But then he returns back to the camp alone. Now we get to today's story. When Jacob gets back to camp, he doesn't fall asleep. He can't get to sleep. Everything feels uneasy. He's in a dark and dangerous place. His back is to the wall. He's got danger in both directions. He's got nowhere to hide. His security is shattered. He's empty. He's weary. Jacob is in the greatest moment of vulnerability he's ever been in. Completely spent, he starts to plan his next scam. How can he swindle himself out of this tough patch? I mean, that's his whole story, right? Getting a bind and then outmaneuver. Mom named him trickster after all. remember? Well, as he sits by the wild roar of the jabbok, plodding, a stranger leaps from out of nowhere and pounces. Jacob's in a fight for his life. He can't see the attacker's face. Bodies are lashing and rolling. This isn't a six-minute high school wrestling match. It goes on all night. Jacob wrestles all night with a man or himself or God. It is not entirely clear. What is clear is that Jacob will not give up. Jacob won't let go. The stranger strikes Jacob on the hip socket... Uh, With a lasting injury to Jacob. But he just rolls back over on the dirt and keeps struggling and keeps pummeling. And after hours of back and forth, hour after hour, the stranger announces at daybreak, It is time for this brawl to end. But Jacob says, Not so fast. You aren't going anywhere until you bless me. I'm holding on and you are going nowhere until you give me the blessing my life so craves. Isn't it interesting that this guy who's been on the run his whole life is determined at this point not to run. The stranger says, tell me your name. And Jacob answers, my name is Trickster. That's who I am. That's how I make my life. By swindling and cheating and hook or crook, my name is Jacob the Trickster. And the stranger answers, no more. Not after tonight. Because tonight you have struggled with God and your name is changing You have entered the struggle and would not let go. You are no longer the trickster but Israel, which means the struggler. You have struggled your way to a new identity and a new future. We've said it before. At the place where we have exhausted our own strength, that's the place where God shows up most often. Well, they're both lying on their backs. They're panting. Jacob's hip hurts. Jacob says, tell me your name. Why do you need to know? And there Jacob receives the blessing he had wrestled for all night. And he named the place Peniel, face that sees God. Jacob has seen God and yet his life has been spared. Let's not tame this story. I mean, you remember the story from Bethel. At Bethel, Jacob meets a warm and fuzzy God. A sweet dream with a ladder and angels. And it's got almost everything but pixie dust. The story at Bethel is worthy of being included in one of those big blue children's Bibles that are in the pediatric waiting room, you know what I'm talking about? But not this one. Here, God meets Jacob's ongoing deceptions with ambush and combat. At Bethel, Jacob meets God as friend, but at Peniel, God comes as beloved enemy, to use the words of Frederick Buechner. And Jacob leaves Peniel with a blessing and a curse. The blessing is he does receive the favor of God. The curse is that he now hobbles and will for the rest of his life. This story is not tame. Now, you and I tend to pray for Bethel encounters, I know. We want God to be nice. We don't want to be attacked or pummeled. See if Alden's summary of the average household prayer sounds a little bit like the version of most of our prayers for a tame God. O God, put away justice and truth, for we cannot understand them and we do not want them. Eternity would bore us dreadfully. Leave thy heavens and come down to earth of water clocks and hedges. Become our uncle. Look after baby. Amuse grandfather. Escort madam to the opera. Help Willie with his homework. Introduce Muriel to a handsome naval officer. <laughs> Be interesting and weak like us, and we will love you as we love ourselves. We would so much rather God show up nice. But the most life-changing episodes happen when we have wrestled through the night and encounter God on God's own terms and not ours. I've seen skeptics who stayed up late night reading light on, reading philosophy and great thinkers who wrestled with the question of God's existence. And for some who did not let go, who did not let go, they received the blessing of life that changed their lives. C.S. Lewis was one of these. He, he tried to disprove Christianity, and he wrestled with the brawny stranger until the light of dawn and the inbreaking of God's love happened in his life, and he came to believe I've seen addicted people who in hospital and rehab and meetings continued to wrestle until the blessing came. Those who do not let go of the struggle emerge with a blessing and a limp. They hobble because of the lost years they carry with shame. But the wrestling match ends in sobriety and they get their name changed and a future and a blessing. I don't want to meddle, not in something as intimate and holy as your prayer life. But if you are like me, most of your prayers sound a little bit like the prayer I read earlier for God to be interesting and weak like us. We pray for God to come dressed like Santa Claus and bless us and give us all the things on our list. A better job, a healing, a changed child, a college acceptance, that God will introduce Muriel to a handsome naval officer. We pray that God will change our external condition. Keep an account as you pray. How many things on your list, how much of your prayer life is asking God to change something out there rather than changing something in here? But when life's options have dried up, And we wrestle through the night with hard questions and hard answers and hard commitments and hard fidelities and hard covenants and hard decisions to no longer live like a trickster. When we wrestle until we are changed, the external conditions matter less because we have been transformed. You remember earlier in the story, Jacob prayed, "O oh Lord, please deliver me from the destruction of my brother." Come, Santa Claus come. Well, after this wrestling match, Jacob still had to face the hardship in front of him. Esau didn't go anywhere. His circumstances haven't changed a bit. What's changed? is Jacob. Some of you do not believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And I challenge you to keep wrestling and not let go. And some of you are in a brawl because God is wanting to change your character instead of your circumstance, and that's a whole lot harder. And I challenge you to keep wrestling. The most important changes happen after the long nights when we get changed, not our circumstance. So keep wrestling until you receive the blessing and the change of name that clarifies your purpose in the world. And then the things out there don't stand as tall. If you do not know the one who changes you, who is wrestling with you even now, make occasion this week or today to come talk to one of the ministers and ask your questions out loud about the wrestling match that's going on with you. Or if this is the day God's wrestling match has ended in a word to you that it's time to join this church and be a fellow struggler with the rest of these folks. I hope you'll say yes to that as well. However God leads,
1: I hope you respond as we stand and sing together.
0: Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Pontstallia Baptist Church.